Welcome to The Third Wheel. This is episode two of Fires of Heaven. Today we are talking about chapters five through twelve. My name is Tyler, and I am joined by... Beyond. I'm supposed to say that oh, no. I'm the first time oh, reader. We're gonna have to do this over. And I'm Jesse. Oh boy. Oh. I was waiting for the and. Oh, whoops. Well, sorry. I just I couldn't even remember through all this sweat coming off of me. You know, I just got out of a sweat tent, and boy, am I dehydrated. I have to run around in the cold. Yeah, that's hydrating. Thanks, Aiel. Just run around naked in the desert. This is fine. Yeah, 50 times around this camp. Anyway, that sounds like we're making reference to the Wheel of Time chapters that we're going to read through. Did events occur in these chapters? I honestly can't remember. Um, I mean, there's enough notes. There are notes on my screen. Yeah, something must have happened, but I honestly cannot really tell you. Well, let's all rediscover together. Great. It's mostly just Aiel versus Wetlander dynamics. And then women versus men. Yeah. Yeah. Did you know women and men are different? Did you? I w- I've never eaten a vegetable in my life, according to Nanave. What's a vegetable? Is yeah. that one of those things they try and put on your plate so they don't have to put as much meat on? I think it is. Maybe we'll anyway. learn in these chapters. We'll learn among the wise ones. God, that was good. The wise ones are also the worst sorority. <laughs> you said last night you were texting they're, me that they're the all White old. Tower. So it's less like a sorority and more like a homeowners association. Oh, oh. that explains so much. Yeah, because definitely with with the Aesodai, I was like, all right, this is just the worst sorority. But then think about the wise ones. They're also pretty bad, but they're definitely the homeowners. Yeah. <laughs> but also the Aesodai channel more. So they're probably even older, like on average than the wise ones. So like, is it just a continuous scale of how Pyramid much you channel? Scheme. Yeah. How much you channel makes you a worst uh, HOA? <laughs> <sighs> Anyway, slap that one on a business card. Ace HOA. Oh man, that means that Elida's the new like head of the HOA. Oh, that makes so much sense. <laughs> Welcome to my AU. Oh no. <laughs> Anyways, we're, talk- we're, we're talking. We're talking about the wise ones because Egwene hangs out with the wise ones in this chapter. Yeah, we're talking about this book series. <laughs> so. It's an Egwene chapter. Like you said, we're checking in on how she's been. She's still kind of herself, sadly. Very much so. Uh, I think in the start of this one, she's just like literally chilling in her tent, thinking about how dumb Rand is as like, like in her own head, she's thinking, wow, Rand is just continually summoning women to his room, I bet. As we saw in the last chapter that Rand is, like, trying to remove women from his room at all times. And also, Egwene's doing the thing of, like, wow, Rand sure does have a big head and thinks a lot of himself, said the one who, like, head is swelling as she speaks. (laughs) I also noted that she is very culturally insensitive to her guy Shane. 
Yeah. But, I mean, that's kind of... Tell me about your trauma. Yeah. (laughs) I don't understand. If you're supposed to be my servant, why aren't you serving me by talking about the thing that has, like, destroyed your culture and yourself personally? I need you to educate me, says Egwene. Wow, you can't even be a good guy, Shane, as you've been broken as a person? I'm reaching out. I'm trying to be a good ally. It's no wonder you couldn't cut it as a maiden. Jesus Christ. (laughs) I mean, listen, welcome to my not an AU. This is just canon. Anyway, Egwene sucks. The guy Shane has appeared to bring Egwene to the Wise Ones. We get to see some of the bleakness that we were talking about in the last section, where some of them are just like permanently... They're either leaving or becoming a permanent guy Shane like this one is. Once Egwene arrives to the sweat tent with the Wise Ones, we get to check in with Avienda, who is there spilling some water on coals, because this is what makes you a good candidate to be one of the leaders of your people, is subservience, until you don't have to be subservient anymore. Bion had some thoughts about that last night while we were texting. It's... It's stupid. I mean, isn't I mean it just, maybe that's that's isn't it just like, hazing. Yeah. It's it's being cruel to people because you were treated cruelly because you didn't want this and you didn't necessarily choose this. This role was put upon you. And the people before you, the role is put upon them by others because you have this like slight power or you're born this way. And so your culture's decided you're doing this, and so as part of the rituals, it's like, what if you suffered? And then once you rise up enough, you just make others suffer. They're sounding a lot like Aes Sedai. I wonder if this is intentional. Really makes you thinking. Anyway, it was pretty great to just suddenly start getting texts from Beyond about how much the wise ones in Aes Sedai suck. It's just because the wise ones already frustrated me. Like the last times we were talking about them, I don't know, ages ago. I was unhappy about them as well. They're just so traditionalist and it's it's just one of those things that represents how like even if it isn't an inherently period sorry about that inherently patriarchal society it still oppresses women. Like, it's a ladies' circle with their lady powers, and they're, like, mystical granted by the lady side of existence. And yet, it's cruel, and it puts women in situations that they don't want to be, but they are compelled to do so because of their culture, their upbringing, who they are as individuals are defined by it. And so they're stuck. You're making me hate the wise ones. (laughs) Not that I really liked them in the first place, but... I mean, it's kind of the opposite of the, like, or it's not the opposite. It is the same as the uh, not like other girls thing, where it's just like low key. I'm not like other wise ones. Pretty much. So the wise ones want Egwene's intelligence report on Rand. Not the right person to ask. No. Write up your intel report on, since you and him know each other so well and you get along so well. You're so on the same page. Yeah, they said as, like, 
one of the first interactions we see between the two of them is them, like, snarling at each other. <laughs> yeah, Avienda continues to be very sundere for Rand during this scene, which continues to be, I mean, not interesting, but at least, like... I mean, this instance is particularly annoying, where Avienda asserts that Rand has been repeatedly trying to sleep with Isendra, and it's like, are you really that dumb? Yeah, I mean, that's the thing, is like, with some of them, it's bad. Like, spoilers, later on in this section, uh, Nadeve has some pretty nuclear takes, but like... <laughs> what, like calling the Aiel's marriage traditions wicked? No, 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 no. Uh, let me find the exact phrasing, because I have it. So I'll say it again when we get there, but the phrase Nineveh's temper faded as they walked on talking about the foibles of the weaker sex, men, of course, and such simple matters as that. Uh, but like... It's just Nineveh's POV, Tyler. Right. Yeah. It would be much easier to accept that if the rest of this series wasn't. (laughs) (laughs) Men and women are different! Yeah. Yeah, like the part that's Nanaves is that it's it's an angry tone, but her POV is not like I understand that you were just joking. Uh but like the story is saying that men and women are different, not Nanave. Which sucks. Anyway, what I was trying to say with all of this is that with Avienda at least, it's like kind of comical just how Sundere and angry she is. Whereas with Nave, it's like eye-rolling with Avienda every time she does something. It's like, you would almost have to try and interpret it in the worst way possible to reach the conclusions that she does. And it's still, I don't know. It feels very good. I mean, Randall Thor is one of the six people she hates most. That, you know, he's a lot of things. Is she eventually part of his harem? What do you think? She is? I'll just say, Rand has been having dreams where him and Avienda, Elaine, and Min all, like, are swimming in a pond together. Ugh. Like... Bion's face looked exactly like you would expect it did based on that Non-monogamy is fine. Like, healthy non-monogamy. Great. Uh... Non-monogamy, because you gotta have your, like, soulmate from 3,000 years ago, and then also this girl who, like, tells the future, and she knows from forever that she's bound to you, and then this lady who had to give up her entire life's purpose. Like, that's not sexy. (laughs) Two things. One, they do definitely have a healthy non-monogamous relationship hold the healthy and two (laughs) avienda at least didn't she didn't have to give it up for him specifically it just so happens to line up that she had to give it up and also she ends up with him obviously what's the name of the guy who wrote those books again (laughs) uh i'm sorry did you say how old was jordan 
No, just who 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 wrote the books again? It okay. was Robert Jordan. Robert Jordan needs to stop doing his self-intert with all the male characters. Uh, he would have been in his 50s when he wrote this particular book, but probably in like end of his 30s or early 40s when he started the series. Anyways, we get some exposition about Teleran Riyadh in this chapter that we haven't seen before. We get some notes that if you're someone who walks in Teleran Riyadh, you can also opt to look for someone's dream in particular. Yeah. Um, but also that it's super dangerous because, like, everything... So, like, stuff in Teleran Riyadh, you can push out to other people, but, like, in other people's dreams, you have to specifically try and not be affected by others, or by the main dream person. Just, like, as a function of it being their dream. In another's dream, though, you were a part of that dream. It took all you could muster not to behave as the dreamer wanted, be as their dream took you, and still sometimes it did not work. I wonder if this is... Something that's going to happen sometime. Hmm. It is. Set up. Set up. It's called foreshadowing. Look it up. It's just buried under some exposition. So you got to make sure you're still paying attention. I mean, that's literally his entire writing style is he'll just have big old paragraphs and there'll be stuff in there that you probably just skimmed over. It is really unfortunate because sometimes it feels almost like reading a textbook, except it's a textbook of somebody's point of view, because it doesn't have to be that dense. There's so much fiber in (laughs) his words and his phrasing that, I mean, yeah, sure, it's technically healthy for you, but uh, you don't need that much fiber. Maybe I'm too spoiled by the standard American diet and whatever, but like I, it is hard to enjoy this book when so much of it is, is having to parse out these little details. And once you know the details and the timelines and every how it works, it is cool, but it is presented in such an uncool way. Not that this book has to be like an action movie, <laughs> like, yeah, but it's so stagnant and it goes and stops and goes and stops and then it switches to some other person and their own journey and then it goes to another person again and still nothing technically has happened (laughs) and you're halfway through the book that's that's the source of my refrain of did events occur in these chapters yeah i mean but also that's sort of why i'm cautiously optimistic about the show because beyond like you said there like once you get past eating your veggies there is cool fun stuff in here but maybe the show can just bypass all of the stuff that makes this series really difficult to get through yeah i mean i was thinking about it last week and i remembered the thing that we uh kept saying throughout the first few episodes which is like sometimes the books are a slog to read but then when we actually sit down to like talk about it they sound really good (laughs) Because, like, this chapter that in my uh, Kindle app is, like, 25 pages became uh, seven bullet points. And it's less than a page when it's, like, double-spaced in size 16 font. So, like, if it was just 
I'm not saying that the actual books themselves should necessarily be this small, because that wasn't the point, but like... They could definitely be abridged. They could be mildly abridged, and hopefully that's what the show is, and so we end up with a show that is better for the people who want the events and not the character commentary on uh, laughing about the weaker sex men, of course, and like... And vice versa. And then the books can still exist as a, like, if you want all of the nitty-gritty detail in the 2,700 named characters. Anyway, we're still in the first chapter. We do this every time. (laughs) And we're still not even halfway through the bullet points. No. Well, kinda. We've been skipping around. So, actual events that are happening, Wise Ones and Moraine disagree on what's going to happen. Wise Ones are pretty in line with Rand, which is... We're taking the Aiel back across the Dragon Wall, and we're going to kill anyone that stands in our way. And that's just... That's the plan. And Moraine's like, please don't. (laughs) Uh, And then the Aiel are like, life is a dream from which we all must wake before we can dream again. And Moraine's like, god damn it. Yeah. It's like, I can see I'm not getting through to you. Side note, Jesse, does whatever app you're reading in have, like highlights like common uh community highlights no okay because the kindle does that uh it has like you will reach a point where if enough people highlight it personally in their app it will just show up in the book as like a hey this is an important line everybody has this bookmarked which really makes it interesting when you get to a line and you're like i mean it's a cool line but like did enough people highlight this was that Just what happened with that what line? What a bunch of nerds. I mean, that line specifically, but it's come up before. I don't know. The same thing happened in Stormlight in lines that I thought weren't necessarily deserving of it, and then I would get to lines that deserved it, and I didn't see them highlighted. So, like... It's almost as if it's a personal preference when you read the book and your interpretations as an individual. It's a personal preference. I'm not necessarily calling people out. I just meant... I'm calling out the entire Kindle-using community. I'm calling out every person that's ever read a book with a Kindle. You're wrong. I'm right. Thank you. What's it like to have an opinion that's that wrong? Because I just wouldn't know. So I'm asking. Anyway, Anyway, I found this chapter (laughs) frustrating because it was just a lot of lady politics. Which isn't that different from dude politics. It's just extra frustrating because I don't know it's just very frustrating I mean the women are like snippy and catty yeah it's unnecessarily so like yes everyone has the potential to be very passive aggressive and catty and very snide in the way they talk to others but must you characterize every sort of organization like this um, and there's some shaming of Avienda, where it's like, God, why are you so bad at everything? And there's some shaming of Egwene, where it's like, be quiet, we're not talking to you right now. Sit there and look pretty. I mean, it's made pretty clear that in Egwene's presence, they just heap all of their praise on Avienda, and when Avienda's around, they heap all their praise on Egwene. So yeah. they only praise them when they're not present to like make them feel bad about themselves. It's yeah. all intentional. Yeah. I'm sure that builds really healthy mental stability. Tough stuff. 
Yeah. And don't they make Avienda run outside naked to go get more tea? Well, they make both of them run around naked at the end of the chapter. No, but like Avienda leaves the tent for a little bit. And so Aggie gets to make the sweat tent hot and she makes it really hot because she is freezing in this desert and she is so tired. She is very, yeah. But then, yes. And then Avienda comes back and then uh, Moraine basically leaves because she's not getting her point across and she can't dominate the ladies and they can't dominate her so they just kind of stop and then it's time to shame Aggie and Avienda and they get nonsense punishments for being contrary to the wise ones I mean to be fair they do deserve to be shamed but just for being dumb yeah I mean I feel like everyone ever probably could do with a little shaming, but it's the, the way it's done is it's just excessive. I'm not sure if the way that Aiel portrayed art to just show how different the wetlanders and Aiel are, but it just seems like their punishments and their, the way they treat individuals versus the collective, it can be hard to read. It's not the best. Anyways, you've been talking about this nothing chapter for almost a half an hour. Great. Aren't uh, you glad I'm participating in the conversation? <laughs> yeah, I am. <laughs> uh, so we'll move forward pretty quick here. Uh, like you said, they... I mean, I don't even know if there's anything to say. Uh, Eggy and Avienda run around outside. They bond over how much they ship Random Lane and how sick channeling is. And then the chapter ends. Not a lot actually happens. We just did the thing where we talk forever about the first chapter. Uh, which brings us to chapter six, Gateways. So Rand that, wakes up to a foul smell. I have in my notes the phrase, a deep stank. <laughs> uh, One might call it a miasma. Oh. Uh, there is a miasma around these dark hounds. The worst dogs in the world. Yes, these are not heckin' good doggers. These are bad doggers. I like how this scene goes out of the way to, like, paint the scene of Rand, like, getting ready to kill these uh, dark hounds, like, standing atop the ancient symbol of Aes Sedai, one foot in the light and one foot in the dark, an appropriate place to meet this attack between light and darkness. And I'm like, God, this is corny. This yeah. isn't even like this isn't even like the climactic battle of the book. This is like a random encounter that the DM rolled on a table. We're in chapter six. <laughs> I have the power of God and anime on my side. Wow, he really does. Since he's using a katana. <laughs> really. And once I saw the capitalized battle moves, my eyes just went to skin. Do you mean whirlwind on the mountain into the wind blows over the wall into unfolding the fan? Yeah, those ones. Disgusting. I will say, much like how back in book four at the beginning, there was the scene that I called out of Rand with the uh, dead child in the uh, Stone of Tear. This was a scene that I specifically remembered from reading it as a child of like, him standing in this dark room on the symbol of the Aes Sedai, fighting off the Dark Hounds. With it a was, flaming sword. Well, 
I remembered it with the Bale Fire, and it was cooler in my memory. There's only like three dark counts here, and he kind of wins in like one page. Yeah, because he just erased them from existing in the first place. Which, if this is a cycle, it makes time very frustrating. That's part of the problem, is that <laughs> reality is supposed to be a cycle, but if you start burning things out of the cycle, your reality is going to have a problem. Yeah, because then to have burned them in the first place, they had to have existed at some point. And it's like, what are you doing to your timeline? Yeah. Where's the circle? That's why they specifically talk about how people don't use this weave anymore. Because it's like actively damaging to the fabric of reality. The literal fabric of reality. Why would the creator allow something like that to happen? Uh, that's a great why question. Why would the creator allow the Dark One to exist? That's a great question. Sure hope we explore that in like the last 20 pages of the last book. Don't use Balefire. Only villains do that. Yeah. Even the villains don't do that. Even the villains are like, whoa, listen, dude. Just calm down. I might accidentally erase entire civilizations from existing. Wow, sure hope we explain that and explore the concept of erasing large populations of people as the series goes on. That sure would be great. Anyway, we'll get to it. Could you bail fire loose Theron out of existence? You mean Rand? Yeah. Uh, that's the thing is like, right now, probably not. Because, like, he's continued to grow as a Tavarin, right? Mm -hmm. So, like, in the beginning, small random stuff would happen to him. But now, like, if you tried, you would probably, like, a piece of dust would fly in your eye and you would miss. Because, <laughs> like, reality is slowly, like, turning in his favor. Later on, it gets more aggressive. Anyways, Rand takes this random encounter to think that the dark one is free now yeah which i don't know how many times in the series he has had to ask does this mean the dark one is free only to have the answer if the dark one was free we'd all already be dead so i like, have defeated shaitan yeah um, no. No, you Rand, didn't. Rand, i have defeated shaitan althor yeah i want to before we move on from this fight i do just want to call out my continued point of the sword form names are kind of, they're definitely silly to read. But also, when I read the phrase whirlwind on the mountain into the wind blows over the wall into unfolding the fan, like, I know, I can picture exactly what that means. For like... Uh, if, for me, the only one I can really picture is unfolding the fan. Well, like, whirlwind on the mountain probably involves lots of motion forward and down wind blows over the wall is probably like lots of forward and then up and then unfolding the fan obviously is like the flick of the wrist so like he probably goes forward and down into one dog and then up into the next one and then like flicks his sword to get rid of the last i want to know how these get translated into other languages i would suspect very poorly like do they literally translate whirlwinds on the mountain or do they do the languages equivalent of such a phrase that's a great question who knows if only any of us were vaguely proficient in another language i bet we could find out i could read it in french hey that's what i was implying I could attempt to read it in Russian. Oh god, that'd be terrible. 
I could read it in English and then defend it. (laughs) (laughs) Defend your thesis statement. Go. I'm already on it. I've been doing it. There's recording. Anyway. Yes. Rand uh, defeats the three dark counts with Balefire. And then like Moraine walks in. It's like, heard you been weaving Balefire. He's Uh, like, nah, my mat senses are tingling. My boy's in danger. Yeah, Rand fades away into going to see Matt, because he's like, Matt's probably being attacked by Darkhounds right now. By Moraine, gotta skim. Yeah. Wait, would Perrin also be being attacked since he's also part of the trio? That's a great question. Why don't we find out when we flash to Perrin in this book? Ha 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 ha. 13 chapters later. No, there's no Perrin in this book. <laughs> So yeah, because if, if if Matt's also affected, like... I think it's just because Matt's in the same place. Ah. So it's... So even though it's magical dream world... No, no, no. They're in magical physical world. Okay. They just... The bad doggos just showed up on the mortal plane. Well, also... I mean, no. So they would have come down from the blight, but like there is an entrance to the blight in the waste. So like they could have just crossed the waste... Whereas if they were going down to Iman's field, they would have to cross, like, most of the wetlands where there's more people. And, like, obviously they could avoid people to get down there, but... Anyway, we're not exploring why isn't it happening to Perrin, because I can't stress enough, he is not in this book. I just find it But it is happening to Matt. Yes, it is happening to Matt, which is what we're talking about. Uh, Matt and his date. Matt is holding the door in the nude, and... He gets bit through the door, but because Rand bail-fired the doggo, Matt never actually got bit. Boy, sure hope this becomes a thing. But he still has the secondhand trauma of the bite. Yeah, because he remembers being bit, but he was never actually bit. Also, it says poisonous, but technically it's venomous. I know. I was very (laughs) upset. It is venomous if it's the saliva and it's drip. That is venomous. He's not gulping down bad dog of saliva. Do you have to go on the rant while there's beeping that means we can't cut one of those things out? So the dog was erased from existence, but only just kinda. This magic system is a very hard magic system. God, I thought you were going to say the dog was a racist. <laughs> I mean, maybe. Maybe. You don't know. Um, yeah, I. it's not a hard magic system. It is fairly soft. I think we discussed this last week, that, like, it's hard in the sense that you know what the input is, but it's very soft and that the output is unclear. And because only dudes can see dude magic and ladies can only see lady magic, I'm sure this is fine. But anyone that can use the non-binary magic can see the non-binary magic. But the non-binary magic is evil. Yes. Unfortunate. Envies are evil. Confirmed. Live on stream. Aberrations that should never have existed. <laughs> Anyways, Moraine tries to heal Matt, but M- Matt is too foxy. Yeah. Uh, this is where we're starting to get... I don't. Re- do they actually say what the medallion does, or is it just continued to be implied? It's might as well have been just stated outright. Okay. Like, yes. he, she tries to heal him, and then Matt says, Man, this fox at medallion's really cold. I'll take it off. And then Moraine tries again. And then later in this chapter, Rand is like, 
do not try and steal that fox head from Matt. It's his. And Marine's like, but it needs to be studied. It needs to be protected. I need to put it in the museum. Moraine does like a frustrated anime girl face. She humps. Yes. Does Matt ever stop putting on jewelry that's low-key bad for him? Or like- The medallion isn't bad for him. The medallion's great for him. Okay, so the medallion's fine. Moraine's just unhappy about it. Yeah, the medallion stops any weaves from touching him. Which is exactly why Moraine hates it. Yeah. Because if you're touching the medallion, you are immune to the direct effects of any weaves. If you, so that's the thing, is like, if you tried to hit someone with a weave of fire and light them on fire, it would do nothing. But if you lit the area around them on fire, they would die to the fire. Could Matt get Bale fired while wearing the fox? That's a great question. Uh, I think the answer is yes. I think Bale fire just beats everything else. The ultimate rock, paper, scissors. Yeah. I was just wondering, because with the previous book, it was like, let me take this shiny dagger. And yes. then this chapter was like, look at the shiny fox. I mean... I'm a lucky boy. Matt, I gamble. Let Matt, me get all the shiny things. Matt just wants to have swag. So, like, if that's a dagger, or if that's a medallion, or if that's... Sp- wearing, spears we all get. Spears, a hat, a scarf, pretty silk, ladies. Pretty ladies. Like, Matt just wants to be the concept of swag given form. <laughs> anyway, we're still in the second chapter. I bet he'd drink Four loco. Oh, a thousand percent. You know he'd drink Four loco. Here's what Matt would do, okay? To be completely honest with you, Matt would like pop open a Four loco, find a way to empty it, and then refill it with like, I don't know, sherry and be like, Man, I'm getting so wild and crazy. Because Matt's not that kind of dude. He's a party boy, but he's like a classy party boy. Ish. Except for that one time he was possessed by, like, human-on-human evil given form via the dagger. But don't worry about that. It's fine. Anyway, so Moraine starts raising death flags and then says that her only goal is for Rand to win. And basically swears to follow anything that he says on the condition that she gets to stick near him and help. I ask you humbly to allow me to help you. Isn't Lan also here and he's like upset with Rand? Yeah. Yeah, but that's because Lan is like hyper-protective of Moraine. He's a protective boy. Rand is compromising her power. Yeah. Uh, so Rand skims over to Esmodian, makes sure he's alive. He's, he's starting to get very judicious with his high-level teleportation magic. It's not even high-level. <laughs> this is like mid-grade teleportation at best. <laughs> Jesse, you know. I know. Uh, he actually calls out in this that there is another way, and we see Lanfear use it in the last section. Like I don't know that Bion would have picked it up, but in retrospect... People that know how to do it are very free to use, like, I'm just going to teleport somewhere else now. Seems really convenient for making alibis for yourself. It's convenient for a whole variety of things. Like teleportation. Very convenient. It doesn't even necessarily have to be teleportation. There's all sorts of stuff that they can figure out how to do with it. 
Maybe once Brando Sando takes over the series, the uses increase a whole bunch because that's his thing is breaking magic systems. And he's like, it's time. Anyways, Rand goes back to his room and there's another lady waiting for him. Yeah. Well, first he, oh, I don't know. It might be in the same scene, basically. He's checking in on the uh, Choedan call, making sure that he has them. And then Lanfear sees him with them. And she's like, just just to clarify, the Choidon Call are the massive statues that have these little avatars that Rand could use to connect to them. Yes, I still don't know that they've actually been named as such, but that's what they're yeah. called later. It on. says, "Uh, the male figure could link him to a huge replica of itself, the most powerful male Saangriel ever made." Yeah. Uh, and then he says, "How do I know that?" It's because Luz Theron knows that. Yeah. Luz Theron was Luz Theron when it was made. <laughs> Christ. Thank you. Uh, so Lanfear attempts to seduce Rand over to the dark side. And Rand opts not to balefire her. Which, poor choice, my guy. It is always the right choice to balefire Lanfear out of existence. If Lanfear was balefired out of existence, though, would the lose their and dynamic change i mean when we just saw balefire it sort of erased these hounds from like the last 30 seconds yeah like at most uh or moraine says that in the war of the power they would erase uh there was like enough power being channeled to sometimes erase people for like multiple days but that would be like the ceiling I imagine that that would be, like, a link of 26. So, like, in order to balefire someone so hard that they are erased from a different turning of the wheel is pretty outside the scope of what we've been talking about so far. Yeah, I mean, I don't even know if, like... Yeah, I don't even know if Rand plus, like, the current most powerful channelers, or, like, most powerful by the end of the series, would be able to do something like that, holding the Choedon call. Like, that's... Burning someone out for, like, multiple thousands of years back is probably beyond... You would probably just unmake reality at that point. Like, by... On accident. By hitting someone that hard. If one unmakes the entire fabric of reality, do they then become the creator? I don't know why that would ever be (laughs) a leading to be. I don't know. I just... Sometimes I'm just a little bit... Extra speculative. About the wheels and the turning. There's too many wheels in my head just going on. Well, try to keep it down to three. Get it? Because the podcast is called... Yeah, yeah. Okay, thanks. I can be my own third wheel. Uh, yeah. No, if you unmade all of reality, you'd just be dead. Because, like, no matter how strong you are, you are still part of the pattern. Parentheses, except for the creator and the dark one. Anyway... We're talking about Lanfear. Um, She reveals to Rand that Gabriel and Ravine are one and the same, and that he's in Camelon. And then, once she leaves, Rand gets a message that the Shido are moving across the Dragon Wall, and that the other clans are moving, uh, either to join him or to join Kuladin. So he's like, it's time to go. And then we move to Chapter 7, a departure. They're going. Uh, we're back in Iggy's point of view, and she had a good night last night of being able to enter people's dreams. 
she went on a spree. Yeah, a thing that I definitely trust in her hands. Egwene, doer of uh, good ideas. No one woolhead should have all that power. <laughs> Noted good decision maker, Egwene Alvier. It's just a huge <laughs> invasion of privacy. Yeah, yeah, it sure is. I don't remember if she specifically mentions here, or if it's brought up later, spoilers, her entering, like, Gawain's dreams. She's, like, hanging out in the dreams of the boys that she likes to see what's going on as far as her presence. Stop violating my subconscious. Because, like, she mentions that when she enters uh, Ruark's dreams... She, like, becomes a child. Yeah, because that's how he perceives her. So, like, if she just enters the dreams of the boys that she has crushes on, she can see exactly what they think of her. But that hasn't happened yet, Tyler. That hasn't happened. But it's, like, it's a logical... It seems like something a 16-year-old would do. Yeah, also, she might be 17. You know, that makes her so much better. So, this doesn't actually matter, but I did enjoy learning that the necklace that Avienda has that was a fight between her and Rand for like two full pages was just a gift from Egwene being like hey we're friends right have this necklace and, it and became, then Egwene is equally jealous of whoever gave Avienda that bracelet yeah communication never heard of her also notably Egwene says that when she popped into Avienda's dream Avienda had been running naked through the desert with a giant Rand chasing behind her Hmm. Terrifying. Rand is already giant. He's like nine <laughs> feet tall. Canon. We talked about this. Anyway. Uh, yeah. Egwene also expresses like shock and confusion that Moraine is listening to uh, Rand's commands. His Korans. His Kara commands. Kara Korans. Anyways. I hope you cut all that. <laughs> he won't. He won't. We, I won't. Great. We It'll cut. be immortalized. It'll be our little snippet for Twitter to get people to try and listen to us. I haven't made one of those in a long time. I did. Anyway, not They're really nice. We cut to Moraine's perspective. Lan is doing the big worry. Yeah. Um, there's really nothing new in this section. It's just like in the last one. We saw, uh, or not in the last section, but earlier when she swore to follow the Karams, there was some issue in his mind of like, what is she plotting? And so seeing it from her perspective and her talking to Lan about it, it becomes clear that like, there was no ulterior motive. She literally just wants to help him win. Yeah, I mean, she's, it, it's explained here. That when Moraine went into Roideon, she went through the rings that the wise ones use for their trial, in which she saw all possible outcomes of her life, and now she has a new perspective on things. Interesting. Really makes you think. Yeah. It makes you think about going over the border to get to another character's perspective, like Nynaeve's. That was pretty good, right? Smooth. Chapter 8, Over the Border. We cut to Nenev. She had a storyline going on back in the fourth book. 
Elaine is being weird. Yeah, Elaine is getting real cuddly with this guy that's like 90 years old or something. It's icky. Bion was texting me about this. I was so unhappy. I was like, why is it that all the ladies have uncomfortably older flirting relationships with dudes? I am absolutely my own developed woman. I just want to sleep with the person my mother slept with. Yeah. I just want a daddy. It's uncomfortable. And then Nenev actually calls herself out. She's like, wait, well, Thom could be... It's pronounced Tom. I know. Oh. Could not only be father, but grandfather. Of course, myself. Land could be my father. And it's like, ma'am, Why? Sir, why are you putting these ladies with old, near-geriatric men? It must stop. Lane isn't near-geriatric, but okay. <laughs> Lane's like 45, whereas Nenev's like 22. That makes me I mean, extremely I, uncomfortable. No, 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 no. It, it, is, it is a significant gap. He's like twice her age. I'm not arguing that. I just mean he's not also like 90 years old like Tom is. It's, it's just... Extremely uncomfortable. Why are all the het relationships, younger girls, older guys, or uh, polygamy? Yeah, I think the only ones that we've seen that don't follow that are like, um, not that there's a quote-unquote relationship there, but like Suan and Bryn obviously have this thing going on, or at least Bryn to Suan does. Uh, I mean, they're both old, but right now, Suwon looks like a 20-year-old. Right, that's what I was going to say. It's like, she might be a little older than Bryn, but she definitely looks younger. I swear, officer, she's 60 years old. <laughs> and uh, Min is also older than Rand. But she's also forcibly by fate. She's also, like, fate required to be in a polygamous relationship with him. So, like... Plus, like, how long has she known that? Since she was, like, a child? A teen? No, only since she saw him. Okay. Because that would have to be horrifying. Like, knowing as soon as you're, like, 12, 13, going through puberty, your your life mate has decided for you. Congratulations. Welcome to Bion's commentary on Soulmark AUs. As, the relationships are so uncomfortable in this story. It's a lot of hetero nonsense in men and women are different. Ha <laughs> ha. How to manipulate your significant other to do what they, to think that they're doing what they want when they're really doing what you want. And it's just, it's so much power dynamics and I don't like it. I don't like Speaking it. Speaking of power dynamics, let's go to some Nazi allegories. <laughs> do you, do you get it? Do you get it? Um, and then Elaine tries to, you know, browbeat the white cloaks, except once again, she's the worst at being incognito. Elaine is like actually 16 years old. <laughs> she's a sheltered princess. Yeah. Uh, there's not actually that much in this chapter besides this like quick interaction with the white cloaks of... Hey, how's Tanchico? Is it bad? Great. See you later. We're not suspicious. We're selling dye. Yeah, most of this chapter is just reminding us and easing us back into the dynamic of this four-person group, which that's our signal to move on. 
Chapter 9, A Signal. Sure. Sorry, I, I'm not sure that uh, either of you heard that. It was it was pretty funny. So I just am not sure, because I didn't hear either of you laughing. You're not hmm? funny. Okay. <laughs> well, I mistyped, and I can see Beyond preparing to laugh, so hopefully they're laughing at my mistyped note, which uh, <laughs> my note says that the group has gotten the camp all het up. <laughs> so, like, it they really have. Has. They really have het up the camp. With, like, uncomfortable age gap flirtation. Yeah. Uh, so, Nanave and Elaine are talking. Julian is pretending to sleep but listening. And Tom is off not buying any vegetables. They discuss what happened in Tanchico. Again, just sort of catching us up on everything. I just had a small moment where Nanave literally does the Principal Skinner meme. She says, no, it is not me that's changed. I'm the same. It's everything else that's different. Yeah. Yeah, Nanave has a lot of growing to do. I will stand by my earlier thought that, like, once she gets to the end, she has the best character arc. But she has to start pretty low for us to get there. Because she was a wisdom to begin with, so she already was in that position of power within that small pond that is the Two Rivers. Yeah. Did someone say Nanave's character arc? One day she meant to heal Tom and watch him dance. One day she would even heal that wound in Rand's side. Surely there was nothing that could not be healed, not if the woman wielding the power was determined enough. Hmm. Well... Can men heal, or is it just a lady thing? That's a great question. We haven't seen many men that can actually channel, but there's no reason that they couldn't. Yeah, because it's brought up, is is this the chapter where they go see the supposed yellow Aja person and get the bad things happen to them? Yes. Because it's mentioned that in this city, because they're so anti-Aesodai, it's men that do the herbal stuff. And traditionally... Most herbal things are probably midwives and things like that. Yes. Yeah, I mean, there's no reason that men couldn't uh, heal. I think the only thing is that they mentioned earlier that men are better at fire and earth and women are better at water and air. And traditionally, water, air, spirit is how healing is done. But it's also only done by women. So like, thinking emoji. And the only male channelers that could teach you anything are Forsaken. And I don't think they care much about healing people. Yeah, the only Forsaken that we've seen heal is uh, Ishamael in the very first prologue. And that healing was different from the healing that we see throughout the series. So, like, maybe that's what it looks like when men heal. Maybe that's what it looks like when a Forsaken chooses to heal you. Who knows? All we know is that for now, is that, like, traditionally women are the only ones that heal with the power, and they heal with a way that wouldn't be as conducive for men to do it. Nanave and Elaine remind us that Mogadine exists. They sort of drop the, what I took as, like, word from the narrator that the Black Aja isn't chasing them right at this second, because if they were chasing this group, then they would have already been caught. And then they finish washing up before Tom returns. Uh, Nanave and Elaine see how many vegetables weren't bought, and they go to town <laughs> without 
any of the men to protect them. And on the way there, Nanave scolds Elaine for being a weirdo. Yeah, she's like, can you just not for like five minutes? Weren't you into Rand? We, I much preferred when you were into him. Yeah. And then Elaine's like, but he's not here right now. And Tom's so supportive of me. It's like, ugh. Elaine's <laughs> like, I need a daddy. And Nave, if you're not going to do it, and Rand isn't here. I'm not going for Julian. Have you seen his fez? There's only one option left. I need this old man and his facial hair. His drooping mustaches. I mean, as a justification, Elaine literally says, I am as much a woman as my mother is. It's like, you're literally just trying to be your mother. One, you're not. Two, <laughs> you're not. Picking up your mom's sloppy seconds is not a good look. <laughs> I don't know if we can say that. I think we've said worse. Maybe. It's not a swear word. Yeah, that doesn't make it fine. <laughs> we probably won't get taken down. We have the explicit tag. Yeah, it's fine. So after they finish this conversation with like agreeing to disagree on whether it's okay for Elaine to just like sit very close to Tom at all times. Doesn't she sit on his lap at points? Uh, I think she tries. I don't know if she... I guess Tom wouldn't actually, like, physically remove her. He probably just looks uncomfortable. But yes, I am almost certain that you're right, that she actually does sit on his lap at times. Look at my womanly body. Yeah. Beyond's making a face. Anyway, this is where we get that quote about... Uh, the foibles of the weaker sex. Men, of course. Uh, and then I, I like the note where they get into town and they can't find any vegetables. And then it was like, maybe he actually did look. Yeah. Uh, I just wanted to say before we move on. Oh, God. Beyond, do you hear that? That's the boomer alert. Jordan is literally a boomer. I looked it up. He was born in 1948. What? What's boomering? Just the gender stuff? Just the like, I, I can't get over the phrase, the foibles of the weaker sex. Men, of course. Like, it's... Anyone I mean, who I, talks about a weaker sex is problematic. Isn't it? I mean, I don't seek out vegetables to eat. I must be inferior. I literally don't. I mean, you're inferior because your body's probably crying out for vitamins you're not supplying it with. But that'll affect you more once you're, like, elderly. Just pick up some Flintstones chewable morphine tablets and you'll be fine. Anyways, Nanave sees a signal for a yellow Aja spy. Yeah, coupled with the signal for the equivalent of a wisdom in this town. Yeah. There was actually kind of a nice moment where Nanave points out that this person has a message for them, and Elaine asks, how are we going to find out what it is? Nanave liked that, not, what are we going to do? That girl had backbone. Which, I appreciate that there is nuance in the ways that just basic word choice is used for how these characters see each other. Yeah. Well, especially because Nineveh, I mean, that's the thing is 
I don't think she has a problem with Elaine like having the backbone. I think she just wishes she applied it better. Because like sometimes when Elaine does it, the Knave's like super high right now. Yeah, she's like, great, she has backbone. And then sometimes she's like, what a spoiled, willful child. Elaine, please learn contextual clues. Yeah, that's basically what it is. But also she's 16. Like, I think it would be fine, except that she's one of our protagonists. And so there's definitely a feeling of like, why are you like this? But we get to see it from third person. So it's very clear what's happening. As opposed to like a first person story. Anyway, uh, they go in. There's nothing suspicious here. No matter how many times we're told, get the good tea from the blue one. The good tea, the blue one, the blue one, the blue one. My best tea. Make sure they drink it. Make sure they drink it all up. Only that tea will do. Only that tea will do for them. Make sure not to drink any. Like, that's so suspicious. But Nenev's like, this seems like a dressmaker I can trust. And they chug the tea, chug a lug a lug. And they do the thing where they, like, fill a big, like, a gallon-sized water bottle with it. And are just, like, chugging it down. Uh, And they get the message... All sisters are welcome to return to the tower. The tower must be whole and strong. And then they pass out. They're like, why would that matter? Of course we're welcome back to the tower. I'm sleepy. Yeah. Make the tower great again. Yeah, basically. (laughs) Almost literally make the tower great again. I've literally seen that referenced as a Linus thing. Is like, she just wants to make the tower great again. And we'll make them pay for it. Yeah, we'll make them pay the HOE, uh, HOA fees for it, unironically. So, yes, they pass out because they've been drugged by the good tea, the blue tea, the tea that's blue, that's good. Make sure they drink it. The best tea. The best tea. I have the best tea. People say that, that I have the best tea. Anyways. Anyways, this tea is fit for figs and mice. A good accompaniment with figs and mice. Thank you. Chapter 10. It's the name of chapter 10. Yeah. I'm doing this thing where I'm good at segues. (laughs) Look at him riding on a Segway. Thank you. You know, the more clearly forced segues are, isn't what makes them good. No, I think that's what makes them perfect. You have to call out just how good your segues are. Otherwise, people won't recognize how well you did. I think you were just jealous of my segues in our plug last episode. It was really good. Anyway, chapter 10. Um, so they've been kidnapped. They're brought upstairs and the uh, proprietress of this dress shop, Makura, 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 says that the tea is called Fork Root, which sure hope you like reading that word because you're going to get to for the rest of the series. Jesse, are you where you have gotten to by Path of Daggers? Uh, have you gotten to the point where there's like an average of two to three fork roots per chapter? Uh, it's ramping up. Yeah. Yeah, it gets pretty bad. Is it fork root because it stops the magic at the fork of the stream? I would assume that it's because the root is forked and so it's called fork root. Okay. Because she mentions that it like the primary purpose is a sleep aid. Like an extremely strong sleep aid. Mm. 
but then she happened to figure out that it also stops you from channeling. Yeah. She's literally the only one in the world that knows this right now. Yeah. Which is honestly a pretty impressive feat. Yeah, sure hope that knowledge doesn't get out. (laughs) (laughs) Cough, cough. Coughs in literally the rest of the series. Coughs and lets the knave get away. Yeah. Uh, Like, the definition of bumbling. I mean, once we get to her confessing later in this chapter, Makura's like, what did they expect me to do? Yeah. How am I supposed to take down an Ace and I and an Accepted? Yeah, I mean, the Ace and I having, like, undue expectations of others is well established. Anyway, Makura and the other girl, Lucy, get both Neneve and Elaine upstairs in bed. Uh, Makura leaves instructions on how to continue drugging them, and they get drugged one more time. And then Tom and Julian show up to save the day. They're like big darn heroes. Under interrogating both Lucy and Makura, they reveal that they were instructed to bring any women matching Elaine's description, along with her companions, to the White Tower under orders of the Omerlin seat. And Nanave's assumption is that Makura is a dark friend working for the Black Aja. Yeah, she's like, why are you lying, you filthy dark friend? Suan would never do this to us. <laughs> Which, she's right. But anyway, they get away. The women get dosed and tied up. Nenave, Elaine, Julian, and Tom uh, head downstairs to get their stuff together and leave, including Nenave swiping some fork root. Nenave also goes out of her way to thank Tom and Julian, which everyone is shocked by. Everyone literally cries and shakes for like six pages straight. It's just that. And then we move on. Tom. And then everyone clapped. Yeah. And that Nenev's name? Albert Einstein. And then Nenev gets disappointed by them once again. But is like, I just said thank you. I can't scold them yet. Yeah. Um, They ride off into the sunset in their new coach. And we get some strange but like kind of hilarious anecdotes about people in the town over the next couple days. Like. I think this is supposed to imply that Nanave is a Taviran. <laughs> I mean, probably. That's. Listen, I've been beating that drum that is like explicitly deconfirmed in canon, but I have trouble imagining that it isn't like reconfirmed by subtext. Throughout I mean, the series. This, this whole section is just about all these wild stories that this town is left with in the wake of Nanave and Elaine coming through. Yeah, but also, like, they would have been called out as Tavarn by Suan if they were. Meh. I, I'm totally with you. She, like, her and Egwene and maybe Elaine and maybe Avienda are, like, absolutely Tavarin. But also, like, sadly, there is explicit in-universe deconfirmation. I just have trouble imagining the story anyway that doesn't involve that. Anyway, yeah, there's some fun anecdotes about, like, who does what over the next day. I especially like the one about the guy who looks at all the supplies he just bought, looks at all the time he just took off work, looks at the fact that he already told his mother-in-law and his wife that he was going to be gone for a bit. He's like, I'm just going to bounce. Like, 
I'm out. I'm taking a vacation. I'm taking a vacation for the rest of my life. Ha <laughs> ha, running away from women. What was that guy's name again? Albert Einstein? <laughs> I'm just, I have a feeling that if I look him up on the wiki, he comes up later. Uh, it's that's, t- that's, the, that's the kind of thing that Robert Jordan would have come up later for no reason. Absolutely. Uh, give me one second, because I've almost got it. Baron uh, Lugay. Yep. Are we going to look him up live on stream? Yeah. Nope, he does not show up ever again. He doesn't matter. First yet, appeared, yet, fire... Go on. Yet he still has a wiki page. First appeared, Fires of Heaven 10. Last appeared, Fires of Heaven 10. I was wrong. <laughs> That's okay. I think I was on the right track, though. Normally you would be. Anyways, how are you going to segue into this chapter title? Um... I don't know. I mean, I feel like I have to... I don't even know that I can stay in, like, this space over near Tanchico. I need to go so far away over into Andor. It's going to take a nine-horse hitch to get all the way there. It's chapter 11. Chapter 11. The nine-horse hitch. Suan, Leanne, Min, Logain have arrived in Lugard. And they've been traveling for weeks, it says. Yeah, time skips exist. Uh, and are unclear. I'm sure that there's an exact timeline, but I don't care that much. So Suan assigns Loghain and Leanne some busy work so that they don't follow while she does something and brings Min with her. This whole chapter could have been explained in two sentences of offhand dialogue. I'm really happy you said that because I have three really short bullet points for this chapter and I was worried that this was going to be one where I summed it up very quickly and you were like, you skipped so much. But like, nothing happens. Uh, we find out that... Uh, so Suan visits a blue Aja spy who also believes that Suan is another spy and long story short, Suan gets the information that the blue Aja is hiding out in Saladar. I mean, structurally, literally two chapters ago, we had just gotten set up for the ways in which an Aes Sedai might obtain information upon arriving to a new city. We could have literally just had Min ask, where'd you go? And Suwon says, we gotta go to Saladar, my source told me. Let's go. Yeah, I mean, she could have been off screen being like, I went that way. Yeah. And, and we, we know just from a couple chapters ago pretty much what would have went down for her to get that information. Yeah, I mean, the quicker way to write it would have been, like, they're walking through town, trying to find a place to stay. Suan sees something blue in a window. Or Min sees something blue in a window. Suan also sees it, and then Suan's like, I'll be right back. Yeah, and then, that would have saved a whole chapter. Yep. Uh, but it's called world building. Look it up. So Suan has the info, everybody turns around and leaves, but not before we get another scene showing that Leanne is getting better at being a Domani woman that everybody wants to uh, have a cuddle with. Great. 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 I'm also curious about how the riddle of knowing that the name Sally Dyera is just c- clever code for the town of Saladar yeah, is, like, su- is something that only a blue would know or even suspect. Insert. Why? Yeah, also, like, that's literally the name of, like, a historical figure who the Aes Sedai should know. 
because they're drilled on history as part of their education. Like, this is the insert the pro ZD skit of like my machinations lay undetected for years <laughs> as somebody it's the like if say this word okay now say it fast <laughs> literally it's just that anyway what a, what a diabolical code yeah uh they're going to Saladar which is where all of the blue sisters are and we'll get more of that as time goes on uh, chapter 12, I have literally one bullet point, which means that I have time to, for a quick smoke with an old pipe. It's chapter 12. It's chapter 12. I'm I'm kind of liking this dynamic that we're having going, where <laughs> I poorly segue into the title, and then you just say what chapter number it is. We're never doing this again. I'll stop. <laughs> well, actually, no, because spoilers, the first chapter of the next section is like set up for one. I'll try and stop. I might be addicted, though. Like I would be, to an old pipe. We'll figure out ways to keep it fresh. Yeah. Not like an old pipe. Uh, what happens in this chapter? Nothing. It's just, uh, <laughs> Gareth Brynn is hanging out in Lugard with his soldiers. They're still on Suan's trail. They're catching up. They're on their way. But that's, like, pretty much it. Uh, the only new piece of info we get is, like, Brynn's vague like, internal monologue retelling of him getting kicked out of the palace in Andor. But besides that, there's nothing. It's just, hey, we're catching up. All I need to know is that the chapter logo for the next chapter is an elephant. Yeah, which means I know what that means. It's time for the best subplot in the book. <laughs> we'll get to it. Are you ready? Time. We're already reaching the side plot? Wait, wow. to have a side plot, don't you have to have a main plot? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, we're 260 pages into this book. Oh my god, there's no <laughs> so way. exhausting. Oh, when you put it like that, what is happening? I'm literally falling asleep right now. I literally just had to wake Bion up. <laughs> That's how I feel about these last couple chapters. What is happening? How are we 260 pages in? Terror. Events have barely occurred. I just don't understand. Again, it needs abridging. Yeah. When's when's Wheel of Time abridged? <laughs> well, if you sign up for our Patreon, we'll be creating Wheel of Time abridged. Uh, Promises. I, I think you're already listening to Wheel of Time abridged. <laughs> I don't think we're popular enough for a Patreon. That's the joke. Oh, but we are popular enough for a Twitter page, at Wheel Reading. Oh. <laughs> and we that. hope we're also popular enough for you to want to leave us a review on iTunes or tweet oh. at us, because we really enjoy hearing from people. God, he's so good. Yeah. Hang on. Sorry, I'm trying to do my job, which is... Yep, okay. We're good, we're good, we're good. So... Next week, we will finish chapter 22, right? Yes, 22. We will finish chapter 22. And by that point, we'll be like over a third through the book. Great. We're moving through it. Whoa. If we're very, very lucky, events will occur in the next section, which would be a welcome change of pace.
I think elephants might occur. Yeah, I don't know. Did anything actually change in this section? I guess they're leaving to go back across the dragon wall from the Aeol Waste, but like... The Wonder Squad got drugged. But like... But that but that doesn't really change their trajectory. Yeah, like nothing happened with their plot line. I, uh, no, they discovered Fork Root, which is probably the biggest historical event to happen in the Third Age in this turning. <laughs> like, unironically, maybe. I know that Rand is off being literally a Jesus allegory, but let me tell you about Fork Root Tea. I don't think Bion wants to hear about it. We're going to end the podcast. I'm Tyler. I'm Bion. And I'm Jesse. And we'll see you next time. <laughs>